0: It is good to be worshiping with you today, here in person, as well as online. We're in a sermon series called The Healing Savior. We're looking at a bunch of different healing stories in the four Gospels of the New Testament. And today, I want to draw your attention to a fascinating story in Mark chapter 8. I'll read verses 22 through 26 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my sermon is... A two-step healing. They came to Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he looked intently, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go into the village. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The first time I ever read this story, I was shocked. Did it really take Jesus two tries to heal this blind man? What is going on here? Was this man's case particularly difficult? Did Jesus not bring his A-game that day? Some things take us two tries. It may take us two tries to crank the lawnmower. It may take us two tries to fold a fitted sheet it might take us two tries to parallel park but this is Jesus we're talking about it took him one try to walk on water it's not like he fell in the first time and nailed it on his second attempt it took him one try to turn water into wine it's not like he came up with pomegranate juice the first time and had to regroup This is Jesus we're talking about. It took him one try to feed the 5,000. One try to calm the storm. One try to heal the bent-over woman in the synagogue. One try to heal the man from a legion of demons. It took him one try to heal the man with paralysis. One try to heal the man with a withered hand. One try to heal the woman with an issue of blood. And one try to heal the man who was deaf and mute. It took Jesus one try to heal blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10. It took Jesus one try to heal the man born blind in John 9. It took him one try to heal two blind men in Matthew 20. This is Jesus we're talking about, folks. It took him one try to raise the widow's son from the dead. One try to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. One try to raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, come out, he said, and Lazarus did. It's not like Jesus had to clear his throat and call Lazarus again. Jesus is not the kind of person who needed two tries. What in the world is going on here? I'll tell you, the blind man's healing symbolically represents the disciples in their struggle to see who Jesus is. This blind man's healing symbolically represents Jesus' disciples in their struggle to see who Jesus is. From the beginning of Mark's gospel, they just don't get it. Jesus calms a storm in mark 4 and the disciples say who is this he walks on water in mark 6 and the disciples think he's a ghost and they do not understand some pharisees ask jesus for a sign from heaven in mark 8 and he refuses And he tells his disciples to beware the yeast of the Pharisees, to beware this kind of mindset that expects God to meet our demands and expects God to write a message in the clouds for us. But the disciples still don't get it. And Jesus asks them in Mark 8, Do you still not perceive or understand Do you have eyes and fail to see? Then comes the story of this blind man. This story is not just about Jesus healing an individual who was blind. It's also about the disciples gradually gaining a clearer vision of Jesus' identity. This story is not so much about Jesus needing two tries to heal someone. It's about the disciples growing in their spiritual perception. And this is not instantaneous. This takes time. A close look at this story will show us how to grow in our own spiritual perception. A close look at this story will show us how to advance in our own understanding of Jesus as his modern day disciples. When the blind man was first brought to Jesus, verse 23 says, Jesus took him by the hand and led him out of the village. The first thing Jesus did was take him by the hand and lead him. This is the same thing God did for the Israelites in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 31, 32 says, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Jesus is the divine one who takes us by the hand and leads us to deliverance. The blind man, of course, had to trust Jesus on the way out of the village. He had to trust that the Savior who had taken his hand would not lead him astray or uh, lead him in some bad path, but would lead him responsibly and take good care of him along the way. Have you ever been on a trust walk before? I went to a camp once and they had us do several team building exercises, including a trust walk. First, they divided us into pairs, and then they had one of us put on a blindfold while the other took the lead and led the blindfolded person around. I did not like it when I had to wear the blindfold. I wanted to see where I was going. I wanted to determine my own direction. But the instructions were to let the other person lead, and so I did. And thankfully, this person led me through a field without running me into any trees or without me tripping over any hazards along the way. This exercise taught us to trust. Jesus leading the blind man on a trust walk is a vivid picture of faith. We cannot find our own way to salvation, so we offer our hand to Jesus and trust him to guide us. The first step in developing our spiritual vision is to trust Christ and follow his lead once jesus had led the blind man out of the village he put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him sounds gross i know but to apply saliva to the eyes would have been in keeping with healing practices of the time then jesus asked the man can you see anything It's like the optometrist's office when they try different lenses and ask if you can read the chart. Can you read the second line from the bottom now? Uh, W-C-D-R. Similarly, as Jesus worked to correct the man's vision, he checked in with the man asking, If he could see anything. In this way, Jesus involved the man in his own healing process. Instead of looking around, the man first looked up. As Bible scholar Joel Marcus notes, the Greek term translated looked up here often indicates looking up to heaven. Or looking up to God. We won't grow in our spiritual perception unless we look up before we look around. When we simply look around, we see things at face value, we see things as others. See them. We see things from a worldly perspective. But when we look up, we remember there is a transcendent creator who made all things. There's a loving God in heaven who cares for us deeply. There is something higher, something greater, something eternal that's more real than anything we can literally see. Looking up reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. And we are called to a higher way of living that rises above the dog-eat-dog drama of society. Looking up helps us to navigate what's happening around us with a distinctively Christian mindset. If looking around is making us discouraged or confused or upset, we can try Looking up first. When we look up first, then we can look around and see things. After the man looked up, he could then look around and see, which marked a major improvement. This man had gone from not being able to see anything to being able to see things. However, his vision was still blurry. When Jesus asks him, can you see anything? He says, uh, I can see people, but they look like trees walking around. His newfound vision was fuzzy. I remember when I first realized my vision was deteriorating. As a kid I saw things clearly and I'm not sure exactly when my vision started to fall out of focus, but one day in a university classroom I could not read the board at the front of the class. I squinted, as if that helps, you know. I leaned forward in my seat I tried to make out what letters were up there and what words were on the board, what it was saying. I I knew there were words up there, but I couldn't tell what they were. Similarly, this man knew people were walking around, but he could not tell who they were. They were too fuzzy to distinguish. He couldn't see anyone for who they were, including Jesus his moment of newfound perception that's still a bit blurry symbolizes what happens with the disciples in the story that immediately follows in Mark 8:29 in a pivotal moment Jesus asks his disciples who do you say that I am Peter says you are the Christ. He finally gets it. He finally understands. He finally sees, sort of. While his perception was activated, he still couldn't see completely clearly. For Jesus announced that he would be rejected and killed and then resurrected from the grave, and Peter didn't want to hear it. Peter didn't want to hear anything about Jesus going to the cross, and so he rebukes Jesus, and Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. Peter saw that Jesus is Lord, but he failed to perceive the nature of Jesus' Lordship. He saw that Jesus is king, but failed to perceive the character of his kingship. He saw that Jesus is Savior, but failed to perceive that he is the suffering Savior. Jesus would not take his place on a royal throne, but on a rugged cross. He would not wear a crown of jewels, but a crown of thorns. He would not rule with an iron fist, but with a nail-scarred hand. He would not write a message in the clouds, but He would write a message on the cross. He would die on the cross for our sins in great love for us, and He would resurrect from the dead on the third day. Indeed, Mark 16 reports that on Easter morning. An angel told the women at the empty tomb to go tell the disciples that Jesus was going to meet them in Galilee. And in Mark 16, 7, the angel says, There, you will see Him. There, in Galilee, after the resurrection, you will see Christ. The disciples did not see Christ with clarity, until they saw him as the crucified and resurrected Savior. It was only in the light of Easter morning that the mist finally cleared and they could accurately perceive Jesus' full identity. This is all foreshadowed when Jesus touches the blind man a second time in Mark 8, 25. When Jesus touches him the second time, he can see things clearly. It's like finding the perfect corrective lens. The first time you put on your glasses, the whole world becomes crisp, clear, eminently discernible. Just as this man sees it all in unclouded perspective. The same happens when the disciples see Christ as the crucified and resurrected Messiah. In this way, you know, we modern day disciples have an advantage over Peter and the original crew. Partway through their journey, Jesus had not yet been raised from the dead. But partway through our journey, He has been. This means we can view all things through the lens of resurrection hope. We can see that no bad thing is the last thing. We can see that suffering gives way to vindication. We can see that death is not ultimate, but life. Is. We can see that this creation, which is groaning in decay, will one day give way to God's new creation where all is well. We can see that the resurrection to everlasting life is the reality toward which our entire existence presses. When I finally visited the optometrist, after staring at that fuzzy classroom board for weeks he fitted me for some corrective lenses and I'm not exaggerating I felt like I was looking at a whole new world especially when I looked at things in the distance you see like many people I am nearsighted which means if things are close to me if objects are physically near to me I can see them well I can see them quite vividly but if things are distant you know if they're far away they become fuzzy or indistinct or altogether invisible to me so the first time I had corrective lenses things in the distance came into clear view I still remember pulling out of the optometrist's parking lot. I turned left onto the road, and way down the road, this stop sign was there, and it just jumped out at me because I could see it so precisely. And I looked up at this tree way down the road and saw individual leaves on it instead of a big blob of green sitting on top of the tree trunk. I tell you, Part of corrective vision is clarifying what lies in the distance. Part of seeing properly is perceiving what's down the road a ways and that's what the resurrection perspective offers. Just as Christ arose from the dead, we see that we have the same destiny. If we look down the road toward the horizon, far into the distance, there is clear hope of the resurrection to everlasting life. Many things can help us grow in our spiritual perception. We can let Jesus take our hand and lead us on a trust walk. We can look up before we look around, so that we can see things clearly with a distinctively Christian perspective. We can see Christ as the crucified one who does not write us a message in the clouds, but writes the message of his love for us on the cross. And we can fix our gaze on the hope of resurrection as we look down the road to what lies ahead. These Corrective lenses of faith can keep our vision crisp, clear, and in focus until that day when faith fully gives way to sight. And any remaining confusion is perfectly clarified. And we no longer see in a mirror dimly, but rather we see face to face. Amen.